Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. Where, along with my partners, Ann and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. So our very special guest today, Diane Sanfilippo, says it all in her bio. She's here to empower you to choose to create a life you love. And boy, has she created content that is helping millions worldwide. You may know Diane as the New York Times bestselling author of Practical Paleo, The 21 Day Sugar Detox, and Keto Quick Start, or from her eight-year, over 400-episode podcast, that's, that's incredible, <laughs> Balance Bites, or even her spice blends, which are pretty amazing, and frozen meals by the same name. And by the way, the first book, Practical Paleo, was on the New York Times bestseller list, I believe, for almost 100 weeks, mm-hmm. which is pretty incredible. So on today's show, we're going to talk about her as an entrepreneur who's very well-versed in personal development, self-growth, marketing, her brand as one of the leading social media influencers in the health, nutrition, and beauty world. And I could go on and on, but bottom line, she's got a great story to tell. So let's put away the carbs and get right into it. (laughs) Welcome, Diane. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So first of all, thanks for stopping by here in Jersey, your old stomping grounds, as you visit your home state from your new home in San Francisco. So speaking of Jersey, I guess that's kind of where your story begins. So I I think I'd love our listeners to kind of know the origin of all of this here. (laughs) (laughs) Where did I come from? So. I'll plant the seed back as far as I can go in terms of my work life. And I started working in retail when I was younger. I feel like a lot of folks either go kind of like the retail or the restaurant route or who knows. But I worked retail for most of my life from the time I was 16 all the way through college and worked for Gap at the mall. So I had a lot of experience with a very strong brand, something that was very well known at the time, kind of in its heyday almost in the 90s. And later went on to work corporate retail, just kind of inventory planning, work that was not interesting or exciting to me. And that's kind of where the motivation behind doing work that we love really started for me because I did actually love working retail. And I still love customer service. Exactly. I love going into right. a store and being like, let me help you find the products. Right. I just think that there's something really you're fun helping about people. that. At yeah, the end of the day, it's that's... problem solving, it's helping people, it's just, you know, making people's lives a little bit easier. So did that type of work for a long time and then eventually was really interested in graphic design. You'll see where this all leads to with my books and all of that and even what I do today, but went back to school and studied graphic design after college, after working corporate retail for a couple of years for Gap and the Children's Place and eventually got a job at a small business ad agency here in New Jersey out in Warren County. The company was then called Graphic D Signs, now mm-hmm. called Kick Charge Creative. So they're an amazing ad agency and learned a ton there about business and marketing and small business and kind of not the big pie in the sky corporate stuff, but what it really looks like on the ground, you know, ground up marketing, grassroots marketing, really helping small business owners, landscapers, all kinds of folks grow their identity through branding, logos, et cetera. So that was kind of where my background was. And then eventually ended up getting super passionate about health and nutrition. I ended up starting a meal business back in 2008 called Balanced Bites and did that for less than a year and I just was burning out. So I went back to school for nutrition. So it's kind of this cycle of do some work for a while, learn what I can learn, gain some skills. Which is great. 
I really think that in today's world, I don't really think job security is a thing. I think skill security is a thing, especially because, you know, a lot of folks want to be entrepreneurs, which I don't think everyone's an entrepreneur. Like, I just think that most people are not. Right. And they can try for a little while and inevitably they'll work for someone like me because I can bear the brunt of the hard times when things aren't going well. Mm -hmm. So kind of the cycle of, you know, not loving what I'm doing, but having other things that I love and I'm interested in and all of these skills along the way have fed into. And so studied nutrition for a while and then eventually started working with clients one-on-one and teaching seminars all around the country. So if anybody remembers back to around 2010 to 2011-ish or right around that time, CrossFit became really, really popular. It was kind of the height of CrossFit and paleo. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching about paleo nutrition. Paleo. I said paleo. I, That's okay. I, I La- it with Gary Tobb says Italy. it that way, so yeah. <laughs> okay. you're okay. So I was teaching paleo nutrition around CrossFit gyms, so kind of at the height of that movement. And at that time, I decided to write Practical Paleo, which was originally an ebook. I was giving it out to the people who came to the seminars. Right. And then I saw the very first couple of paleo books come out, and I sent an email to the publisher. I was like, hey, here's the ebook I wrote. <laughs> yeah. I have this concept in mind. And he said, okay, cool. And Practical Paleo, really, it's gone on to be the best-selling, strictly paleo book that's out there, more than half a million copies. I certainly don't know that many people. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really been part of the movement, and that trajectory was really, really interesting. But yeah, so that's kind of where everything snowballed from. It's amazing how it all all the steps were in place. And as you said, it's not... I have a 22 and a 26 year old and it's- (laughs) I wasn't doing any of this Exactly, and neither was I at this age. And it's gotta be a growth process and you gotta find the things that really, you know, make you, as Gretchen Rubin says, wanna get out in the morning. And so what would be the best advice you would give yourself today (laughs) based on your expectations to the Diane that was in those early stages of beginning your life's work? You know, in hindsight, I, I really do think that everything- came together as it was supposed to. So interestingly enough, I doubt myself more now than I ever did back then. So I don't really know that there would have been advice. Like I was never seeking advice back then. I literally was like a freight train. I never had one job. I always had two to three. The doubt has come later. That's interesting. Because self-doubt when you is write a book like thing. this yeah. and it's on the New York Times list for two years, it's like, well, now what? Because right. I didn't create the magic of the boom mm-hmm. that was carrying what that book did. I did write a book that people really love, recipes that are really easy. And the graphic design element, you know, I convey difficult concepts in easy to understand terms as well as in visual representation, right? Because for me, I'm an audiovisual learner. That's why I had a podcast for eight years and I'll be starting a new one in just a couple of weeks. But it allowed people to learn in multiple different ways. And it is really hard to come off of something like that and just wonder like, what's next? You know, and I've published six more times since then. None of them have ever done as well as the first one. And I don't know that anything ever will. Maybe it won't, you know, maybe there'll be something else, but Well, it's always, I think they call it the imposter syndrome sometimes when you become successful at something you really never really saw yourself doing. I mean, you wear a lot of hats. I mean, Mm -hmm. do you think of yourself as a coach, a writer, a marketer? What's your frame of reference for how you see yourself in your business? Well, it's interesting. You know, the influencer term kind of came out in the last, you know, five to 10 years, right, as Instagram became really huge and social media in general. And I think I've always been an influencer. I've always been one of those people who tells other people about 
the cool thing, the best thing, whatever, because I'm always looking to optimize. Mm -hmm. One of my strengths, if you've done the Strengths Finder, is being a maximizer. And I always want to maximize and strategize. And that's kind of something I've always been into. So, you know, I think it just became this natural thing that through all the work that I'm doing, even if I'm not just talking about food, I'm able to influence people just by being honest and being myself. And so, I don't know. I guess I've always considered myself an entrepreneur. I can monetize anything. That's my thing. Coming back to the concept of like, what advice would you give? I don't know that I ever wanted advice in terms of success or earning money or any of that, that I think a lot of people want advice on. Sure. Making money is the thing I'm good at, but <laughs> from there- It's a byproduct. I mean, yeah, it, you know, it's like- comes from the hustle. I can always figure out how to make money. <laughs> right. It's then how do I make sure that I'm feeling fulfilled with whatever that thing right, is right, right. and living up to my potential. That's mm-hmm. the part that's actually much more challenging. So what do I consider myself? I consider myself for sure an entrepreneur. I mean, I lemonade stand when we were kids- we ran out of lemonade and my friend thought we were packing up for the day. And I'm like, no, no, we will go make more lemonade there because there are still customers. Yeah, that, you're either born with it or born without it. I mean, you know, Gary talks about that all the time and it's so true. And I think, you know, what's cool about today's world is that people can get both a taste of a little bit of being an entrepreneur in a way through companies like Beauty Counter and some of these other businesses, right? They have that entrepreneurial spirit, but they may not want the stress of being the owner. And that's really cool. But then there's also folks like myself who need help and need support from someone who loves the entrepreneurial realm and supporting someone like me, but also, again, doesn't want to be (laughs) awake at night wondering how they're going to pay everyone on this team or all of that. So I think that you know, the internet has done great things for a lot of people. And I think one of the downsides is too many people believe that they can create their own work. Right. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they might not actually be cut out for it. Right. And they, they just don't have it and in And they them. have no way of knowing who's real and who's not real. So they yeah. see some influencers, let's say, who really aren't influencers, but, you know, people aspire to that for mm-hmm. whatever reason, but they really don't understand what they're looking at. It's interesting that you brought up stress. And I'm going to get to paleo, sugar detox, keto, but I heard something that you said on your podcast that hit home with me personally. And I think many of our listeners will identify with this as well. So you talked about how stress and anxiety levels can be the key to blame for why many people struggle to lose weight. You said that while calories count, so does the environment into which the calories are entering. And I'd love to hear you talk more about this personally, but I think it's not just dieting, but affects every aspect of our daily lives. Well, there's a couple things going on. Physiologically, stress, obviously, we're having cortisol levels that are raised a bit. And what that does is it affects our blood sugar levels in a couple of different ways. At first, it will raise our blood sugar levels to pull the sugar into the bloodstream. The fight or flight mechanism in our body is there for an acute stressor primarily. Like that's what we were really designed to fight is something intense and we kind of run away from an animal and then we're good. We were not really physiologically designed for the chronic level of stress that we experience all the time. So whether that's financial stress, relationship stress, a job you hate, a job you maybe like okay, but it's not that right. fulfilling, you know, all those different things. So those things all cause stress in the body. So physiologically, we're under stress. That can cause sugar cravings. I can't fly without M&Ms. I mean, I guess that <laughs> explains it. So That might be a different thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, some folks are not sleeping well. Right. Not sleeping well actually will make you crave sugar the next day. So there 
is basically nothing about the way we want to eat that is not affected by stress in a negative way. So if we're under stress, if we're perceiving stress, whatever the situation is, and again, stress isn't just the feeling of I have a million things to do today, I'm so stressed out. It can just be this consistent <laughs> displeasure with your life that actually makes your body respond physiologically. So all of those things will contribute to the fact that we will crave carbohydrate in those situations mm -hmm. because that's what our body thinks it needs some sugar to respond to stress and that's kind of how we'll get into paleo and sugar detox and keto because although this is a financial and business podcast i think i'd be held in contempt of nutritional <laughs> court if i didn't ask you to explain the difference we'll start with paleo and why you're passionate about them all because kind of what i was thinking about is that you know, how does someone figure out which approach is right for them? Is it like taking the ACT versus the SAT, where one approach is better for some people? It's so funny. I've been doing this for about a decade now. And so I always spell it out like I'm O-V-E-R-I-T. I'm just like, I very infrequently talk about nutrition anymore, which is interesting for someone who's written, you know, six books on this topic. But I think that ultimately you discover what's right for you through a process of elimination by trying them all. And ultimately, something might work in the short term, and you might enjoy it for a while, and it might have you know great results for you, and it might work with your lifestyle. And then there might be a time period where it's not working for you, and there is not one way that's the right way to eat. Now, right. that being said, all of the books that I've written, so Practical Paleo, 21 Day Sugar Detox, there's three books in that series, Keto Quick Start, and then one I co-authored, Mediterranean Paleo Cooking. The common thread is always going to be real food, minimally processed. None of these books include recipes with grains. That doesn't mean people should never eat grains. It just means I think we're okay with understanding what to do with those and how to find them. Right. I think that most people who are coming through kind of our generations of, let's say, folks who are anywhere from 20 to in their 50s don't really know how to cook. That's what I've seen through what I'm doing, traveling, teaching, all of that. Some people do. Did your parents My cook? parents, yeah, both cook. That's definitely a strain. I mean, I, I see that in my own family, um, yeah. certainly with my brother and my niece, Fanny, who you know. Yeah. And, you know, my brother has just loved cooking. He watched my aunt, not that my mom can't cook wonderfully, but my aunt really was in love with Julia Child and was passionate about everything. So I get that. Yeah, and I watched a ton of Food Network okay. <laughs> growing up. So, you know, I think that people need to figure out what works for them and try different things and ultimately just leaning on real food. I understand how folks get confused because there's a ton of propaganda out there and everywhere you turn, it's about avoiding meat or dairy. It's very like vegan oriented, right. which is so far off course for not only optimal human health, but the health of the planet. And I find it really sad because people are very, very easily swayed emotionally when it comes to like wanting to protect animals. And I don't want to get too far down this <laughs> rabbit hole, but unfortunately, as a human species, like we are thinking too much about it and we're emoting too much over it. And we really need to remember that we are animals, part of an animal kingdom. You know, we could get into the nuances of optimal human health and some of the nutrients that you actually can't get very well from plant foods that we really get from animal foods. But all that being said, I want people to be eating meat, seafood, eggs, vegetables, fruit as a primary part of what they're eating, regardless of how much carbohydrate they eat or not. Because when you're eating paleo, you're including meat, eggs, seafood, veg, mm -hmm. nuts and seeds, starchy tubers, right. plantains, sweet potatoes, et cetera. 
keto would be pretty similar to that, not including the starchy stuff or the really high carb fruits, maybe just berries. And it's just a very low carb approach. The way that I teach keto is real food, whole food focus. So it's not about eating tons of seed oils and just mayo wherever you can. It's not about that. It's really just a real food approach. And then my sugar detox is for the folks who want something for three weeks, just because to think about going paleo or going keto, most people assume this is a whole lifestyle I have to take on tomorrow. Right. And that seems really overwhelming. And so as a nutrition consultant, after studying that for a long time, knowing that for a lot of people, sure, they just want to embark on a new lifestyle. But for most... The idea of three weeks seems a lot more manageable. And you can't go through three weeks learning how to eat differently and not come out the other side changed in some way. And so I do find that folks will come out of that and they'll say, what what do I do next? And they'll try something. They'll try practical paleo meal plans. They'll try, you know, keto quick start. And they'll just see, how do I feel when I reincorporate more fruit? You know, do I feel better or worse, et cetera. So there's no one right way right. for everyone. And well, I do think that, you know, avoiding fast food and processed food right. is just There's always going to be. But I think that a lot of folks today start believing that it's, quote, obvious to give up red meat or oh. to not eat butter. Right. And they think that that's an obvious health choice. And I don't want people to go in that direction because I actually see more harm than good being done. That's interesting. I totally agree with that. So after your first big success with Practical Paleo, did you consciously find a community of people that were interested in paleo and then started to build products and offerings for them? Is I guess what I'm asking is, is this how you think of marketing as serving of a community? Because you obviously have quite a community on Instagram. I became what others would refer to as one of the leading voices in the paleo movement completely just by happenstance. That's where I was standing at the time. Um, It's what I really believed in. And I still believe it's a fantastic approach for tons of folks, especially folks with autoimmune conditions. I mean, just it's life changing. But in terms of creating products, I really don't know. I don't think about it that much. I honestly just move from my gut. You know, I created spice blends in Practical Paleo because it was the way that I would often cook where I would make up a blend of spices and then just have that in my pantry to use and keep it simple. And a a lot of folks, again, going back to people not being able to cook, why don't I just teach them meat, veg, fat, spices, (laughs) done. (laughs) You know, like that's really all there is to it. So I had the blends in the book and I don't know, just thinking about what could I do that is consumable because ultimately you buy a book and great, you might tell 10 friends about it, which is kind of what happened with Practical Paleo, but It's kind of the end of our relationship. If there's not something else that I have to offer, a lot of folks in the health space, you'll notice, will go into selling supplements or protein powder. Those are some of the highest margin, highest demand products, and they're not my jam. And unfortunately for me, food products have really poor margins, Mm -hmm. but it's really fun and it's very rewarding and it's at the level of integrity that I feel comfortable with. You know, I don't mind having lower margins in order to do what is still right for me and not kind of sell out to the supplement world in a sense. But that is what a lot of folks end up doing because it's the most lucrative approach to, you know, monetizing health and wellness. And it just wouldn't have been right for me. So I consider my spices a bit of a passion project. The same thing with the meals. And I'm working on getting them to places where they're monetizing even better than they are and kind of scaling them, but much more slowly than some folks might. I'm not really working with investors on any of that, just kind of self-funding. 
and have some of my own side hustles to help fund what I'm doing. Well, it seems to me, I mean, I'll use myself as an example. I constantly struggle from time to time because my wife and I tend to have different work hours. She works at Time Magazine and sometimes they're later and I'm trying to figure out what to eat for dinner, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously well, trying to go healthy. some bites meals so and just... That's, them up. <laughs> that's a solution. That's a solution. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, maybe there should be like an Uber balance bite or something <laughs> where you, know, you can have all of the things you need delivered Are to you. Are you giving me business ideas? I'm just giving, just throwing pl- it out don't there. Don't you worry. I have plenty of ideas. <laughs> if you would like to write me a check, we can have another conversation. <laughs> so you like to pivot. So mm-hmm. you pivoted yeah. into the beauty care product mm-hmm. world and you're building up a very strong clientele mm-hmm. with Beauty Counter, mm-hmm. which you can explain. But do you take the same marketing approach or was this dynamic? a little bit different using multi-level marketing? It's a world I never, ever considered being a part of. I was definitely not interested in any other brands or companies or products that were kind of in this structure, multi-level or even just direct sales, which is technically you know, more what it is because you can just go to beautycounter.com and shop. You don't mm-hmm. have to go through somebody. But it really ended up being an extension. So if you Go back to my example of like supplements and protein powders. You know, there are great margins on personal care products. And most big companies like Revlon or some of these other folks where they will spend is on marketing, right? They're spending on, you know, ads that are in magazines or commercials on TV, et cetera. And companies like Beauty Counter, where they spend that, quote, marketing allotment or revenue would be towards their consultant base. So instead of spending millions or even billions of dollars on whatever other kind of traditional advertising, we're earning that money as consultants. So in the world of healthy living, it was so interesting to me to find that not only did people want to know what products I loved and was buying. So when I wrote Practical Paleo, there was not even a, quote, paleo-friendly mayonnaise to buy. And Mm -hmm. now there are several options, different brands that people can get. Things are so much easier today. There's different salad dressings and ready-to-eat meals like mine and some others. So just noticing that people were hungry for product recommendations that were aligned with my values and the values of others in the community that I'm in. So whether it's paleo, real food, just healthy living in general. So when I found out about Beauty Counter from a friend of mine, who was the woman who I co-hosted the Balance Bites podcast with for eight years, it was Mm -hmm. exactly 400 episodes. Mm -hmm. We wrapped it up at 400 just several weeks ago. She told me about Beauty Counter and I was like, okay, whatever. And I just kind of blew it off and said, no, And then eventually I just tried the products and I liked the products. And so coming back to what people love to hear from me or what products I love and use, whatever it's going to be. And this just happened to be this sales model. So when I first started, I was not building a team whatsoever. So I spent a year in this business really just selling as myself the way I would anything else. You know, I have a link and you can shop with me, et cetera. And there were people who had signed up with me just because they had known me and worked with me. They were sugar detox coaches. So they were in my little community. So there were folks working under me that I I didn't really even know what to do with them. (laughs) And I don't think I knew who they were, what was happening. So about a year in, I went to an event with the company and I was like, oh, this is for real. Like this is a real business. Um, They take things very seriously. You know, it was not just it was never materialized in my mind the same way until I got in the room with the the CEO. Exactly. And so Now, what's cool about it, you know, you asked before what I consider myself, I do get to do a ton of business coaching and mentorship through the work that I do with Beauty Counter. And what's fun about that is I don't have to charge the people on my team an hourly rate for me to consult with them about how to build their business because 
It'll all work out in the right. wash. You know, eventually beauty counter is going to pay me for helping like them. I would think there's like a waiting list to get on your team. I, mean, <laughs> I think it's um, not the easiest thing in the world. All are welcome. The door is open. <laughs> I will support people and figure out how we can best serve them. But that has been really fun and rewarding. But in terms of the way I look at it with my business, I mean, I definitely promote the products the way I would anything else. If there's something I don't love, I'll let people know it's not my favorite or it just right. doesn't work for me in a certain way. And I'm not going to not be honest about it just because right. and I, think I do that's, work with the company. I think that's a thread that goes with everything you do is honesty. And people, you know, they can figure out what's BS right away. Yeah. And building trust and building honesty, especially in the health and nutrition world, oh, yeah. is kind of rare. So one thing that I have discovered over the last nearly decade in this space is that a lot of folks end up in what I would consider network television model versus a cable model. So this is my analogy that I draw. You know, cable, Netflix, all these companies, you pay a premium because you choose to get whatever it is that they're giving you versus being served ads because you didn't want to pay the premium. So now you're getting whatever ads are there, Mm -hmm. whether or not they're targeted to you, whether or not you can really trust them, I don't know. And that's the model a lot of like influencers today and bloggers of the past. They're on this kind of content churn where they have to constantly post either to Instagram, their blog, whatever. And they're really supported financially by selling ad space. And I never went that route with my blog. Mm -hmm. You know, we did have podcast sponsors because there's costs associated with a podcast, but I could really easily say we did podcast sponsorship by invitation only. We picked brands that we loved. And so maybe we could have earned more with brands that didn't fully align, Mm -hmm. but we chose brands that really did align that we knew that we loved and our audience would love them right? and so on. So because I always took this approach, I never had the pushback of, well, she promotes so many things, I'm not sure what to believe. Because a lot of other folks in my space really hit that realm, you know, and I think they didn't monetize what they were doing early enough. They jabbed too long and never hit the right hook, right? (laughs) And that's really an approach that I, you know, before Gary wrote that book, Mm -hmm. that's an approach that I always took in my business. Like, you have to give a ton before you ask for something, but you still have to ask for something because otherwise you train people to never give you money for what you're doing. I mean, that's a... My Angelou Oprahism, you teach Dr. Philism, actually. Right. It's like you teach people how to treat you. And I was like, I am not teaching anyone that I am free. Nothing I do is for free. That doesn't mean I won't do some things for free. You know, share content, blog, et cetera. The podcast was free to the listener. Yeah. But I really think it's important that we monetize what we're doing. And so that's kind of where the beauty counter stuff came in. That doesn't mean I won't still talk about a toothpaste that I love that I don't get paid for. Or maybe I share an Amazon link, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that that mix and not being afraid to ask for money for my product that I created created a relationship between myself and my audience. And I have a large following on Instagram, but it's not as large as some folks who are in my space that I kind of came up in the community with. But at the same time, they are deeply loyal. So I'd rather have a deeper base. Right. It's not I've about met, the numbers. Yeah. And I've yeah. met thousands of those people, whether it's a book signing, whether I was in a room with them for eight hours teaching about nutrition, whether they're, you know, beauty counter consultants, mm-hmm. whatever they are. So what advice going would you give to that, people listening that are looking to take their brand to another level, mm-hmm. creating social media communities? I mean, for example, <laughs> I noticed recently this new Diane Direct hashtag that you're using, which, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are reading and commenting on. Just curious what your advice would be. You're giving a lot uh, already. So well, So the advice I end up giving to folks who are building, it's a do as I say, not as I do for a while, because while someone's building a following, right, they have a few hundred or a few thousand people following them, they don't really have the social proof 
of tens of thousands or 100,000 followers. So that social proof gives you something that it gives you a little more wiggle room with not playing the game quite as much of the way that other people do. But for someone who's looking to grow through social media today, delivering value and content is critical. And I, I don't do this as well as I could. I will rebel against so many things. So I know what would work. And I've somehow pushed back against it for whatever reason. I just feel irritated by it. Right. This is just my personal situation. So I personally have moved back to wanting to have a deeper connection with fewer people via email and my blog, et cetera. But if someone is looking to grow on social media, some of the accounts that I've seen growing really quickly these days are like psychology accounts where they're sharing real, tangible, actionable information and education through right. social media. Their accounts are growing by thousands a day, a week, et cetera. So what I see is what works really well now on social media, especially Instagram, is what we used to do in the blogging world, which was deliver high-value content multiple times a week, not just a quick picture that people might engage with or a meme, but really go deep on the content. So it's micro content because it's small, but it's going deep in terms of connection and something that people really want to learn and creating space for people to... I don't know, like they're connecting over that content. They're sharing it a ton. I mean, I'm watching people share the same people's accounts over and over every day. So I think that that's what works really well. And a lot of folks are staying a little too shallow with their content. This is kind of what you were alluding to earlier. They might be following someone like Gary Vee, right? And he can stay a little shallow with some of the content he shares because the reality behind it is super deep. But the content might be a 30-second or one-minute clip where he's just sharing one mini piece of advice. Right. It's not like the most earth-shattering you know, depth of let's all think on this for an hour now. Right. It's very practical, easy, and quick, but it's based on a lot of depth. And I think folks who might have a few hundred or a couple thousand people following, like a health coach or financial advisor, whoever it is, if nobody knows who you are, you need to prove yourself. Absolutely. And you need to really deliver content for a long time. So, you know, if I have a base of a following that I've already proven myself to them right. in this realm, I'm still going to do it in other realms. So let's talk about that before we close. So you mentioned you're starting a new podcast. Mm -hmm. What can we look forward to with that? So that podcast is called Driven. Myself and my friend, Cassie Joy Garcia, we are multi-passionate entrepreneurs, both of us. And so we love to talk shop. You should meet Lindsay Meyer, a guest that I had on the show. Well, she's from San Francisco, mm -hmm. and her business is called Batch. She has a store in San Francisco called Batch, and now she has one that just opened. What's the product? So basically, it's the store itself. And she worked in Silicon Valley for a number mm -hmm. of years and actually very fascinating backstory in her own life. Mm -hmm. She wound up being part of the Me Too movement in Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. But the business model that she has is the store itself changes every three months and it's almost like a home and it has hmm. just certain products, you know, someone who's making backpacks that are made from plastic out of the ocean or couches or pet items or makeup or anything along those lines. It's just fascinating entrepreneur out there. So just... I might connect you too. I'm just thinking about that right now. Yeah. So, so let's yeah. anyway. So, the podcast. So, we like to talk shop, and we know that we have tons of folks who follow our work and kind of this progression of coming from being an educator in parallel with having always been a marketer or a business person. And now it's, you know, how do we motivate, inspire, and teach other people basically how we think about things and how we approach things? Because 
we are just naturally both very entrepreneurial, but I know that there are lots of folks who just want to hear a little more about kind of the process and the breakdown. So talking about things like fear and all of that, all the way up to nitty gritty of a blog and how do you decide how to plan a schedule for that and all those different things. So really excited to get into it. Also touching on some topics of personal development. You mentioned when you read my bio, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the idea of knowing yourself better. I think, you know, the self audit and all right. of that is really helpful. And I think that that is because I think I've always known myself very well. That's why the advice question is like, I was not seeking mm -hmm. at the time. I right. wasn't like reading self-help books or reading business advice books. So I think helping other people to see where their strengths are and what they're great at so that they can kind of get out of that stressful situation of like, I don't really know what to do. I want to do something in this world. And, and they feel the pressure of entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. right? But it's like, maybe we just help you discover that you are an amazing right hand and people need that. You know what I mean? Or maybe we help you discover that you are good at discovering talent, whatever it is. We help people really figure out who they are so that they can use their own skills. Is there a the book in possible. the future on this as well? Shrugging emoji. Yes. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I've been thinking for a long time. I have a ton of unfinished notes in my phone from the last decade of, you know, when I used to travel to teach seminars, I was writing down notes all the time about all different kinds of personal development mm -hmm. topics. I used to listen to Brian Tracy a lot. Right. Psychology of Achievements, like one of my favorite audio series. I have a lot of thoughts about the way to approach this, but I think I still haven't gone through whatever it is I need to go through to get to the place where it's so obvious what the book will be. 10 years ago, if you had asked me that, I'd be like, I'm not a writer, but obviously mm -hmm. now I've been published six or seven times and I guess I am. Yeah. But it's weird to me because writing is not actually my strength at all. So it's the hardest thing to do, right. but I do think that it's worth it because it does reach a lot more people. It's a medium that reaches tons of people. And I would be lying if I said I didn't walk past the shelves in the bookstore where often I find some of my books, which is, just blows my mind. You know, <laughs> they weigh four pounds and they're gigantic. <laughs> but I look at the shelves of kind of the smaller bestsellers and I'm like, that's 10 blog posts. Like it's nothing. It's so lightweight. Right. But I feel very strongly that I want the depth to be there. Someone can pick that up and not really know me and learn from it. But I want there to be those thousands of people who already knew that I had the chops to write that book. Because when I see folks doing that kind of work, I'm not into it. I'm not into it when I'm like, but what did you do before that <laughs> that makes that relevant or valid? I really want there to be a depth that leads up to it. So I think that'll come. So when does the new podcast, when will it debut? When a, does this episode yeah. air? <laughs> so the show should be airing sometime this summer, in the great. next few weeks, oh, I would say, great. because we're getting that wrapped up now. Well, great. Well, yeah. we're looking forward to that. And if you weren't familiar with Diane before you heard this episode, you have a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> we're going to make it easy for you. We're going to put all kinds of links for, obviously, her books, for her Balance Bites website, which I think is worth checking out. There's pretty much most of your information in that one area. You certainly want to follow her on Instagram. You can follow at yeah. Balance Bites for the food brand and mm -hmm. at Diane Sanfilippo, just my name right. for me and everything else. Okay. You'll be able to find her and we'll put the links there. So Diane, thank you so much, not just for appearing today, but for your practical, no-nonsense approach to food, because true to the name of your podcast, your old podcast, <laughs> balance is absolutely the word that comes to mind when I think about 
your attitude towards eating and lifestyle. If you're not following, as I said, on Instagram or listening to her podcast or reading her books, you're missing out on some great advice and guidance on finding a healthy lifestyle that works for you. And as I said, we'll add the links in the show notes, of course. Special thanks to our folks at Resonate Recording for all the post-production and everyone at UBS that helps me get these shows out every week to you in a timely fashion, especially I'm going to throw a shout out today to Jeff Spencer, to Lori Zakzuski, to Karen Rodriguez. I really appreciate all the help you're giving me. And remember, when it comes to saving for whatever you want in your future, whether it's paleo, whether it's sugar, <laughs> taking sugar out of your diet, whatever it is, pay yourself first. Have a great week. 